Hello and welcome. Today I am covering The Art of Listening by Eric Fromm. This is a collection of essays and talks that Fromm, that Fromm gave uh, throughout his years based on the theme of listening. Um, and I actually broke this book up into a couple different sections. The first section that I want to go over is Fromm's goal of psychoanalysis. He states that psychoanalysis is used to uncover the conflicts within us, to show us our resistances to becoming aware of these conflicts, and our justifications for these resistances. Now, when I think of conflicts, that actually reminds me of ambivalence, which means that basically your mind is pulling you in two different directions. You're at a fork in the road and you're having trouble moving forward because in order to move forward, you have to pick a direction. And that's hard to do if your mind is pulling you in both directions. Um, that actually also, the fork in the road analogy also reminds me of the story of Hercules, which in that story, he had to choose between uh, the path of pleasure and then the more difficult path. And he chose the difficult path. Um, and I think that's because doing the right thing isn't easy. Standing up for the right cause is challenging. And actually this difficult path leads eventually to your ideal self, which takes a lot of work. So um, yeah, so those are all the things that I think about uh, initially when I heard that Fromm thinks that or he states that psychoanalysis is basically used to uncover conflicts within us. So these conflicts could be between your conscious and unconscious, and these conscious are these conflicts could be repressed. And there's methods to study these repressions through dream analysis, analyzing the client's symptoms and their behavior. Um, and just jumping back to the conflicts, I think there's reasons for the conflict because ultimately I think there's justifications for both sides. And but ultimately we must choose one of the paths. We have to put our full energy and force into one of those paths to be at peace. And this is true for someone also that's ambivalent um, about making a decision and you know, once they settle that conflict, they're at peace. So once they make the decision to move forward, life is a little bit easier. Um, okay, so these conflicts within us are potentially unconscious and they're hiding from us for various reasons. Maybe we're embarrassed by them. Maybe we're trying to protect ourselves from being hurt. Um, and that's the job of psychoanalysis is to find these conflicts and work through them. Okay, so that's the goal of psychoanalysis. The value of psychoanalysis, Fromm writes, the main value of psychoanalysis is really to provide a spiritual change of a personality and not to cure symptoms. Okay, so I want to touch on both of these points. What does he mean by spiritual change in personality and uh, not curing symptoms? So Fromm actually talks about three different ways that we can go about garnering a change in our person or a spiritual change in our personality one of those ways is to discover your unconscious forces that are dictating your thoughts and actions 
So how do you do that? How do you go about uncovering your unconscious forces that are controlling you, that are controlling your thoughts and your actions? And we come up with all these justifications for why we do things and we think they're rational and we think they're right. But a lot of times we're just defending these unconscious forces without knowing it. Um, and Fromm comes up with three different ways. He talks about you can discover these forces through analysis, meditation, and becoming aware of how you react to things. So the first topic he talks about is through analysis, and he's very direct with his clients. He tells the clients what he sees in them, and then he watches for their reaction or if they get some sort of feeling from what he's telling them. And he's quick to point out that this is not just an intellectual understanding of what Fromm is trying to tell the client. He wants to make sure that the client is actually feeling what he's trying to convey. And he also says that this actually differs from what Carl Rogers was trying to do with his patients, where Carl Rogers believed that the patient or the client should find out on themselves what is going on with them. And Fromm thinks that he should be direct and tell them exactly what's going on. And ultimately, that's going to save a lot of time in, in analysis. So that's why Fromm believes that he's just going to be direct and tell, tell, even if he thinks that, even if maybe the reason why Carl Rogers didn't want to do that was because he wants to protect the clients, the client really needs to figure it out on themselves. Fromm thinks it saves a lot of time to tell them uh, what he sees right away. So that's one of the ways is through analysis to find out what your unconscious forces are that are dictating you. Another way is through meditation. And Fromm thinks that this strengthens your ability to concentrate and focus on current behavior and thoughts. And, uh, and actually Fromm meditated and practiced concentration skills for at least an hour and a half every day. And if you think about uh, if you are a therapist or a counselor and you need to focus on clients all day long, that could get difficult uh, if you don't have concentration skills. But that meditation really also helps you figure out some of the forces that are driving you through your natural thought patterns and behaviors. Um, okay. So the, the last thing that I wanted to touch on is just become aware of how you react to things. So if you have a strong emotional reaction to something, this could be an indication that you're repressing something. Something is unconscious within yourself, um, but it's still part of you and you may be ignoring it. Okay, so those are all the different ways that you can try to discover your unconscious forces, which are pulling you in all these different directions. That's one way of garnering a spiritual change of a personality. What's another way? Fromm talks about uh, value judgments. And value judgments are basically we, as, as human beings, we assign value to everything in life. And I actually believe, I think our brains do this because it tries to organize a very chaotic and complex world. So what we mean specifically by value judgments is that there's, there's reality, there's things that actually happen. So let's say, let's just use an example. Um, let's say there's a car crash. Um, 
So what actually happened is, let's say the front of the car got damaged and you suffered from some bruises. That could be what actually happened. Now, value judgments would be all of your thoughts and opinions on what happened. So you could think that, oh, this is the worst thing in the world. I can't believe this happened to me. I will never be able to recover from this. So these are all value judgments. And what Fromm is basically saying is that in order to get a spiritual change in personality is he wants you to really analyze those value judgments that you have on the world. And we do this throughout the day and we do it every day with everything that happens to us in life. Things are good, things are bad on a varying on a scale varying to varying degrees. And actually that's the goal of cognitive behavior therapy is actually to distinguish between what is real and what your thoughts are on that actual event. And this was actually, this came from Epictetus and the Stoics. And what Aaron Beck calls in cognitive behavior therapy, he calls it cognitive distancing, where you're trying to, the goal of cognitive behavior therapy is to distinguish between what actually happened and what we, what we assign, what value we assign to that thing that happened. Um, and this is important because throughout the day, you could be feeling bad about external events that are happening to you. And what Aaron Beck is saying, what Epictetus and the Stoics are saying, and what uh, Eric Fromm is saying is that all of these are value judgments and they're all within our control. And so we have control over these things that are happening uh, with our thoughts and our judgments within us. And so this actually, like I said, it comes from the Stoics and actually Shakespeare employed this rationale in Hamlet when he said that there is nothing good or bad, but sorry, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so basically what that means is that we're trying to distinguish from real live events to your thoughts on those events. And this is actually how, let's say, one person gets in a car crash and they can recover really quickly and another person gets in a similar car crash and they, they sit in languish and they don't recover because one person is very determined and has a positive attitude towards it and another person is severely negative about the situation. And, and so Fromm wants us to become more aware of our value judgments. And this actually also reminds me of another author and uh, therapist named Donald Robertson. He wrote a book called The Philosophy of Cognitive Behavior Therapy, which is based off of Stoic principles, where he gave an example of someone that thinks that life is depressing. And this is another example of a value judgment where the person is assigning a value to life or to the world. And what cognitive behavior therapists and what Donald Robertson is trying to say and Eric Fromm is that you can take control, you can take responsibility for your thoughts. Don't blame the world for your emotions. Don't say 
This is life's fault. This is the world's fault. Take res- Even though this is difficult, take responsibility for that thought and say that, no, life is whatever it is, however we want to define life uh, rationally. But that thought that you're having is actually a value judgment. Your thoughts on life are actually negative and depressing. And you can actually learn to change those thought patterns. And so that's the job of therapists. That's the job of psychoanalysis is to really uh, try to find out where you're making value judgments, how you're making value judgments and how you can change those value judgments. Because if you can change those value judgments, you'll start feeling better. It'll help your emotional side. Um, Okay, so this section actually... It reminded me also, so when you're talking about value judgments and you're talking about, okay, there's external events that are happening outside of my control. Like if I get in a car crash, um, it may be, you know, outside events, outside of my control. And this reminded me of another Stoic philosophy uh, where the Stoics, one of their central themes, what they really wanted to think about was what is inside my control? And what is outside of my control? Whatever's outside of my control, I will not focus on. I will not put my attention on those things. I will not get wrapped up in the events of life. I will not be very upset because something outside of my control is happening to me. And they put emphasis on, excuse me, they put emphasis on what is inside of your control. What is inside of your control? Well, that can be things like your judgments. We just talked about your value judgments, your opinions, your desires, your goals, and possibly most importantly, your integrity. And so the Stoics talked about focus on that. Focus on what you can control. And I think this fits nicely into this section, what Fromm is talking about with value judgments, because you can control those. You can... You are the person that are assigning values to certain things that are happening to you in your life. Okay, something else that kind of fits nicely into this section is, and and I'm actually kind of cheating because I'm pulling from another book that Fromm wrote called To Have or To Be, but I thought it fit nicely because it had to do with shifting your mentality. And in that book, he talks about shifting from a having mentality to a being mentality. And what he means by having mentality is having things like focusing on things like money, power, fame. These things are short-lived and he wants you to shift your attention to a being mentality, which he defines as your capacity to love, to reason, and to do some sort of productive activity. Now, if you can shift your focus then at any moment in your life, you, you do have the capacity to love, to reason, and to do something productive. And so if you can do that, if you can make that shift in mentality, then you can live a, a more peaceful, peaceful life. And what Fromm writes, he says, what people consider important is to be successful, to acquire power, to acquire prestige, to rise on the social ladder, to serve the machine. But they, as people, become stagnated. In fact, most of the people deteriorate slightly. Although they get better in the art of making money 
and the art of manipulating people. They don't get better as human beings. And when I read that, that actually reminds me of Jim Carrey because Jim Carrey is a person that became very successful, very powerful. He had all the money that he could ever want. Um, and he realized that he made it. He made it to the top. And any type of happiness was, because of all of those things, was very fleeting and shallow and empty. And so try, this, that, that story just kind of reminded me of trying to shift from your focus on these things that ultimately will not feel, make you feel fulfilled. And so if you can shift to a being mentality, you'll be in a better place. Okay, so <clears throat> that was all in my section talking about, or in the section talking about value judgments that Eric Fromm talked about and how to get a spiritual change in personality. What is the next and the final way that he talks about to get a spiritual change in personality? He thinks this is yet another way to shift your mentality. He wants you to shift your focus away from your problems and shift it towards things that interest you. Now, of course, your problems do, of course, need to be handled. However, quite frequently when we think we're problem solving, we're actually just worrying. So he wants you to change your focus. Now, Fromm had a lot of patients who focused solely on their problems, and he realized that this was not a great way. This is not a way to get well. And he writes, Fromm writes, how does anyone enrich their life? All of the misery which is experienced by many people lies to a large extent in the fact, not that they are so sick, but they are separated from everything that's interesting in life, that's exhilarating in life, that is beautiful in life. They sit and fret about their problems, about their sins, about their mistakes, their symptoms, God knows what. Well, they could sit and enjoy life in many, many ways. They think the best way to cure oneself is the complete concentration on one own's problems, but that is not the best way. It is the worst way. So Fromm is saying, like, listen, okay, we have problems. We all have problems. We all have to deal with these problems. But if you're sitting there all day long worrying about them, um, that's not going to help you. And he wants you to shift your focus towards... <clears throat> towards things that interest you. Now, this reminds me of Sam Burns's philosophy for a happy life, where he basically talked about be okay with what you ultimately can't do because there's, there's so much that you can do. And I compare this to my running, where I know I'm never going to win the Olympics, but I love the process of running. And so within running, there's so much that I can still do. It's not about the destination. It's about the process. And I believe that actually the destination is really just a mirage for the ego. And, you know, if I can't ultimately run anymore now this is still i'm kind of veering off track but i'm still talking about 
interests. Be okay with what you can do in life. What are you interested in? Even if things, even if there's a lot of things that you can't do, if a lot of things are taken away from you, there's still, there's still so much that you can do. Okay. And something that actually Mark Manson talks about that, like, let's say for instance, someone loses the ability to do something that they love. So they're focused on something that they ultimately can't do anymore. What Sam Burns is trying to say is, listen, there's still so much you can do. And what Mark Manson tries to say is that mourn the loss of whatever you lost, whether it's like for me, if I can't run anymore, I'm going to mourn that loss. But what do you do next? After that, I'll have to go out and find a new activity, some sort of something else that I can do that I can get enjoyment out of that I can find interest in. And no matter what, no matter where you're at in life, there's still so much out there that you can do that will give you some sort of enjoyment. Now, this is true with activities. This is also true with a job. So if you lose a job, um, you're going to mourn that loss. You're going to go through a, a, a difficult time, but you can find a new one. And that's also true for if you have a partner and you lose that partner, you'll mourn their loss, but then ultimately uh, you can go out and find another one. Okay, so this is also kind of the mentality of shifting your focus away from everything that is wrong in the world to everything that is possible. And I think that, you know, we're limited in our abilities, but within our abilities, we actually have unlimited possibilities. This idea that we are limited to just a few activities that we enjoy, but within these activities, I think there's an infinite amount of variation within them. So I actually think there's an infinite within the finite. Now, this analogy could be taken to, let's say there's a tree and the tree has three branches, but if you look closer, those three branches them themselves actually have three branches. Each one of those branches have three branches and so on and so on. So there's actually an infinite within the finite. Now this is actually with math, the idea of fractals and where the, um, the, the mathematician, the Mandelbrot set came from. Um, there's, there's an infinite of possibilities within the finite. All I'm trying to say is, that was a little jarbled, I'm sorry, but all I'm trying to say is that there, there's, there's so much to do out there. There's so much that you can ultimately do. And if you just lost the ability to do something, there's still a lot of different things that you can do. And that's what Fromm is talking about, trying to shift your focus, trying to shift your focus from your problems to things that interest you. And... Uh, so another way to shift your focus is trying to shift your focus from hating yourself because you lack all of these different things that you don't have the ability to do to trying to love yourself and life because you have the ability. You always have the ability to love, to reason, and to do some sort of productive activity, um, at, at some capacity. And so with that mindset, you're never in a position of lacking. And uh, okay, so basically, those are those are the three different ways that Fromm talks about to get a shift, a change, 
a spiritual change of a personality. The first one was to uncover those unconscious forces. And you can do that through analysis and meditation and noticing how you react to things. You can get a, a change in personality by really becoming aware of your value judgments. And we talked about the CBT and distinguishing between what is real and your thoughts on what, it, what are happening, what's happening. And if you can really become aware of those, um, then you can try to change them. And if you can change them, then you can become more in control of the level of peace that is in your life, not dependent on outside forces. And what we just talked about was shifting your focus from your problems to things that interest you. Okay, so uh, from, from goes on to say that, listen, psychoanalysis, we're not focusing on curing symptoms. So psychoanalysis is after the root of the issues, the conflicts that create the symptoms and not focus on the symptoms themselves which is what most current pharmaceuticals do. They cure the anxiety, but not what is psychologically causing the anxiety. Now, I don't want to get into a debate on pharmaceuticals. I personally believe that they actually, I, I don't really know. I don't know that much what they do. I know they probably do help some people, um, but I also know that uh, their job is really just to uh, fix some of the symptoms, or I should say mask some of the symptoms, and they're not really fixing that much. And so that's the job of psychoanalysis is to get to the underlying issues that are causing you to have anxiety. Okay, so let me back up. What, what does Fromm actually mean by a spiritual change in personality? Uh, Fromm talks a lot about how he sees a lot of people that he saw in sessions that had no zest in life. Life has no meaning. These people, uh, they don't have any interest in anything. And he talks about people needing to find a direction in life, finding out who they are, what their interests are, and how there's really no excuse to have no interest in such an infinite world that we live in. Now, of course, I can relate to having no interest in things at times when I'm very depressed. Um, but we, we talked about that depression, and that's something that actually um, can be worked through using CBT and other methods as well. But Fromm writes, If in the wealth of culture we live in and the wealth of possibilities with books and experience and science and everything a person lives as if all of that did not exist, as if there was an empty world in which nothing is important, nothing is really interesting except pure purely small personal events. Now, yeah, let me talk about that. Like, th so there, there's, there's so much out there. And a lot of people talk about this, how, you know, we live in such a world and Fromm is writing, you know, 80 years ago or however long ago this was exactly, I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always been so much to focus on, to learn, to grow. But, you know, the problem is really when you have depression, it, there's a disconnect there. It's like, okay, I'm aware. I can, I can talk personally about this because I have been depressed and it's like, well, I'm aware that all of these things exist, but it, it doesn't bring me, it doesn't interest me. It's, it doesn't affect me at all. 
And so um, that's, that's something that takes a lot of work, that you have to work on that. And you do actually have to find things that mean something to you. Because ultimately, if you're in a lot of pain and you don't want to be in a, in a lot of pain, uh, emotional pain, then that must mean something to you. Okay, I'm getting off track. Um, another thing that Fromm talks about is something called uh, a real conflict versus a fictional conflict. Fromm writes, should she marry? Uh, actually, I don't know what he means. Should, he mar- should she marry or divorce her husband? But this is what he writes. Should she marry or should she divorce her husband? This is not the real conflict. It's no conflict because it's insoluble. Her life will be miserable whether she divorces him whether, or whether she stays with him. It will be the same miserable life as long as she is not free. But as long as she concentrates on this particular problem, she cannot begin to make more sense of her life. She cannot work on her real conflict, which is that of her own freedom, of her whole relationship with the world, of her lack of interest in the world, of the great narrowness of her whole existence in the world, of all that is inaccessible to her. Wow. Okay. So basically he's saying, listen, um, this person is focusing on a fictional conflict. She's trying to decide whether or not she should stay with her husband. She's really worried about that. She's not happy. She wants to try to make a decision. And what Fromm is saying is, listen, that's not the, that's not the real conflict. The real conflict is you do not have any interest in life. You're disconnected from it, and no matter who you're with, you're going to be dissatisfied. So that would be the real conflict. Let's try to work on that uh, because you're focused on the fictional conflict. Now, of course, there's situations where people, of course, do need to leave their husbands for whatever reason, but this would be a case where this person is focused on a fictional conflict. Okay, so... Another thing that Fromm talks about is, let me quote him again, we get inner liberation by awareness of repressed conflicts. So basically this kind of sums up psychoanalysis. So there's conflicting tendencies within us, and these conflicts can be between how we think, feel, and what we say and how we act. And these conflicts can be between what we show the world and what we hide from the world. Fromm writes, psychoanalysis is not to look back at the past per se. This kind of emphasis on the conditioning factors that have made people the way they are lead more and more to neglect the real and important questions. They are, what could people do to extricate themselves? Extricate themselves. How could they act differently? How could they have made use of that margin of freedom? And the crucial question, of course, what could they do now? And he specifically says, this question is not dependent on age. Now, this reminds me of the analogy that when we're drowning, we don't care why we're drowning. We care about how we can save ourselves. So this actually also came up with a podcast that I listened to recently called The One You Feed podcast. And um, he had a guest psychologist on named Tasha Yurik who said at the end of her day, she asks herself what went well today, what didn't go well today, 
and what could I do differently? So that's really taking ownership in your own actions and your life. You're taking responsibility for your life. It's focusing on what you can do differently. Okay, so that wraps up a lot of the different things that I wanted to talk about in terms of the goal of psychoanalysis, the value of psychoanalysis. Next, I want to turn to uh, both the mentality, the mentality that the therapist or counselor has to take in a session, and then also the responsibilities that the client has to make. So when I'm talking about the mentality that the therapist or counselor has to make, um, I'm talking about when you're listening to them, you have to feel and you have to ex try to experience what they're going through. And this is what from 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 insists that everything is in us. So, for instance, he says that the schizophrenic is in every one of us, just as the manic depressive. Um, and I believe that we're all somewhere on the spectrum, just to varying degrees. And, and it's just a matter of circumstance that I'm on this side of the spectrum and you're on that side of the spectrum and uh, everything is within us. Just depending on the situation, I could very easily become manic depressive. I have in the past. Um, and so what Fromm is saying is basically in a session, the important thing is try to experience and feel what the client is going through. So Fromm writes, there is nothing human which is alien to us. Everything is in me. I am a little child. I am a grown-up. I am a murderer. I am a saint. I am a narcissist. I am a destructive. There is nothing in the patient which I do not have in me. And only in as much as I can muster within myself those experiences which the patient is telling me about, either explicitly or implicitly, only if they arouse an echo within myself can I know what the patient is talking about. And can I give them back what they are really talking about? Then something strange happens. The patient will not have the feeling I am talking about him or her, nor that I'm talking down to him or her, but the patient will feel that I'm talking about something which we both share. One knows another person only in as much as one has experienced the same. I find everything in myself. So basically he's saying, put yourself in their shoes, try to experience what they're going through, uh, because when you do this, you'll become more clear as to understanding where they're coming from. Um, and this is, this is really going to be taxing, depending on how far you take it, this is gonna be taxing over the years. It's gonna have, actually, another counselor that I listened to on YouTube said, uh, Dr. Grande, he says that this is going to have a cumulative effect. Um, and so that's just something to be aware of. But from, from specifically says this is very important, that the mentality that everything is within us. Um, and he specifically says that, you know, there's therapists out there that try to distance themselves from the patient. He's, that there's therapists in his time that, they looked at the patient as someone else, that it's something that they're basically a science experiment, that something they're trying to dissect and figure out. But really what Fromm is saying is if you can connect with them and feel what they're going through, that's gonna build that connection. That's a mentality that you're gonna take. And he also says that uh, if you can do this, if you can feel what the person is going through, then 
really, there's no room left to be judgmental. So if you listen to their issues as their issues, you're in a position to judge them. But if instead you're experiencing what they're going through, you really only have room left to identify with them and to help them. So that's very important to push out all, all thoughts and feelings of judgment towards the client and really feel what they're going through. Another mentality that Fromm wants us to take is how we treat them. So we wanna treat them with complete respect. He talks about the story of Harry Stack Sullivan who convinced his hospital that he worked in to set up a separate wing that he could run. And he chose who worked in that wing and he instructed everyone who worked in that wing um, and how, how to interact with the patients there. And this wing was set up for the most extreme cases. And he treated everyone with extraordinary respect. He acted with them, with them as he would with anyone else. Um, he was very cheerful and he had a delightful personality. And this was the only treatment that was provided in that wing. And the patients got better, they got well. So basically these results show that personal relationships matter tremendously in healing. And uh, of course, uh, he's, he's talking about treat your clients with the utmost respect. Um, and But he is also very clear as to saying uh, this does not go into the realm of sentimentality and having a pity party, but he wants to make that distinction. But so the mentality is treat your, treat your clients with the utmost respect because really at the end of the day, these personal relationships matter so much in the healing process. And <clears throat> this actually reminds me of how I, so I love running and I recently injured my leg and when I was trying to recover from that injury and I was coming back, I distinctively remember this inner monologue of me just basically yelling and just having so much hatred towards my leg because it didn't feel that good. And, and I thought of this section actually in the book where, listen, um, I, I thought to myself, this is no way to have a mentality towards my leg. If I want my leg to get better, I need, to, I need to start taking better care of it mentally too. I need to care for it. I need to treat it with respect. And, and so that's what I, I try to do. So even though, even though it's, I was very like negative towards where it was, and this could actually be kind of like an analogy to a patient. So my leg was hurting and it was not performing as well as I wanted it to. If I, in, in the future, if I have a patient and they're hurting and they're not performing as well as I want it to, how am I going to treat that patient? How, how am I going to treat my leg? So I need, I recently, I needed to make that shift. I became aware of how I was that inner monologue towards my leg and I needed to become aware of that and to, to treat it with a little bit more care. So that was just a little analogy that I thought was kind of funny, um, that dealt with, with respect, with how we treat our clients. Um, okay, so he actually also, one, one last thing with mentality that I wanted to throw in here, uh, from writes, I assume 
We are what we have to be in accordance with the necessities of the society in which we live. And therefore, for me, it's terribly important to analyze the particular structure of any given society, whether it's feudalism or 19th century capitalism or 20th century capitalism or the Greek slave society. The concept of sickness is essentially social. And so it's the sometimes it can be the society that we live in. A lot of our problems could be related to that or be, be because we live in a certain society. Um, and he actually also talks about that, though it is important to, of course, read psychological journals. He thinks it's more important to read books by like Dostoyevsky or Kafka because these authors really show uh, a lot of the very real struggles that humans go through. And he thought that those were a lot more helpful for him to learn about human nature than psychological journals. Okay, so now moving on to the commitment the client has to make, he, t he emphasizes that the client being there is not enough, that they're gonna have to do work. And so the client also needs to have some vision of what their future, of what they want their future to look like. He again reiterates that the client needs to be an active participant. He brings up faith and that the therapist's role is to be a good guide, that you can lead them to the water, but they need to drink the water. Okay, so <clears throat> also he talks about how the at atmosphere of that relationship, it needs to be with complete truth because this is all reality is. Um, he talks about, so from writes, if I, he also talks about something else. He talks about, he writes, if I encourage a person and minimize the severity of the problem, I only damage the person simply because I prevent emergency energy from developing. On the contrary, the more clearly and severely I describe to the person the situation he is in, and the alternatives, the more I mobilize his own or their own emergency energies and the closer I bring them to the possibility of getting well. So he eventually changes his, his, his words um, from, from just using him to them later in his writings. But basically what he's saying here is, listen, I'm going to be blunt with the patient. I'm not going to sugarcoat this because if you sugarcoat it, they're not going to get better. They're actually, they're going to get worse if they think everything is just going to be fine. So he tells them, listen, this is a dire situation in, uh, you're in. And he noticed that when he did that, he, he found a lot of cases that people all of a sudden developed these emergency energies and they were able to save themselves that, listen, this is a really bad, let's not. So, and, and this has to do with being in an atmosphere of complete truth with the client. You're not going to, you're not going to, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a, that's, if you're sugarcoating something, you're not being completely truthful with them. So, um, this is something that's very important to Fromm is to, to have that atmosphere of truth. Okay, so another thing that he writes, Fromm writes, says, the beginning of growth lies in the fact of becoming free. Now, he uses uh, the parents as an example where independence is crucial for growth. 
a lot of times we have crutches that we use and our goal with these crutches is to get rid of the pain associated with making difficult difficult decisions and the pain associated with growing uh, so we give up our freedom so we don't have to deal with these things and that's why we have these crutches throughout life and the goal of psych one of the goals of psychoanalysis is to get rid of these these crutches so he wants he talks about freedom a lot and how that's very important to become free because if you're reliant on other people you're not gonna if you're too reliant on other people you're not gonna grow okay so the last thing that I want to cover is Fromm's rules and norms for his art of listening so Fromm writes so these are all the rules and norms Fromm writes the basic rule for practicing this art is the complete concentration of the listener Nothing of importance must be on their mind, on your mind as a counselor. You must be optimally free from anxiety as well as from greed. You must possess a freely working imagination which is sufficiently concrete to be expressed in words. You must be endowed with a capacity for empathy with another person and strong enough to feel the experience of the other as if it were your own. The condition for such empathy is a crucial facet of the capacity for love. To understand another means to love them, not in, erotic, not in an erotic sense, but in the sense of reaching out to them and overcoming the fear of losing oneself. Understanding and loving are inseparable. If they are separate, it is a cerebral process and the door to essential understanding remains closed. So those are his rules and norms for his art of listening. And I especially liked the part where he talks about how the counselor or therapist, their mind has to be free from anxiety um, because that will actually block you a lot of times from having complete concentration on the listener. And again, that's another reason why he meditated and did different concentration skills in the morning for like an hour and a half every day. Uh, to hone in on his abilities to concentrate on the listener and to be and to work through his own problems. We all have to work through different conflicts and that helps him free up uh, himself from having anxiety because he thinks that having anxiety and having greed, uh, this will block you from connecting with your clients. Okay, so that is my summary for The Art of Listening by Eric Fromm. I hope you enjoyed it.